Thank you both ladies, Mama T and Sue, for blessing us tonight. Isn't that cool? That, by the way, inadvertently shows the, the wonder diversity of the church. Two ladies, both singing about the Lord, two totally different styles, both awesome for Jesus. And that's what made, that's how the church should be the church. That's how the church should be the church. It really should. Now, you and Sue? No way. Yeah. How about that? By the way, we're glad you came home. Should have never left. <laughs> There you go. Well, listen, this morning we talked about, you know, a couple of things that I said this morning. One is it's time for the church to be the church. And I kind of want to, the reason I chose the scripture tonight, I want to solidify a couple of things, and that's one of them. And I really want to show you the, the danger, you know, what happens when the church is not the church. I want to really solidify that uh, in our minds tonight. And then I want to tell you this, you, your pastor's a little bit strange, and I tell you these things, knowing that after 16 years, if you don't trust me now, well, it's not going to happen. But I, I do talk out loud to myself. I ask myself questions out loud. And so I, I went to the bedroom, and I'd been in my office studying at home for this, after, for this evening's message. I went to the bedroom and was about to lay down, and I said, so Jesus is the answer. What are we going to do about that? Jesus is the answer. You know, I hope you understand, that's not rhetoric. That's not stuff to get an amen. Jesus Christ is the answer. And he has chosen us individually as the doors go back to this church, collectively the his body of the Christ, to tell this world that his son is the answer. What are we going to do with that? And that's why the church has got to be the church. And that's why we're going to talk about one of the parts we're going to talk about tonight is so important. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verse number 14. And this is a story that you're probably uh, familiar with. It's a story of a young boy who has a demon-possessed uh, spirit. And, and what happens... And well, it's just a marvelous story. And we're going to talk through this and try to answer those questions. Now, let me tell you a little story. Again, so many cool things happened. I'm going to ring back, John. Um, some things happened on this trip that were just marvelous. We really did see some of the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen in my life. And again, as, as, we, were, as we were driving cross-country, um, it's kind of like when we, when we came home from Germany... You know, you wait to get your orders. We were in the Air Force, and you wait to get your orders. And so um, finally they came. It's a big deal because you don't know where you're going, you know. And we'd applied for all the South bases, you know, kind of wanting to go home to the land of grits and uh, without sugar. And uh, by the way, I asked a couple of people that question on the train, Jeremy. You would appreciate that. They were all salt people. <laughs> Just wanted you to know that. Just wanted you to know that. But anyway, so we were waiting, we were waiting for our orders to come. And, and so they came, and... Missouri was the answer, and I asked the person, I said, is that in the South? <laughs> Never, no, I had no clue what it was, you know, and where it was. Well, I knew nothing about California, and I really, I mean, I knew it was crowded, like George said, don't, don't give me any part of Los Angeles with eight zillion people down there, but the part we saw was just beautiful, and I had no idea that we would be driving in the mountains the, almost the entire trip. We were going to be in the mountains, I just had no, no idea, even down into San Francisco. And so we're driving along, and really, was you had been so proud. I was doing the race car thing. I was having a great time. You know, I had this little rental car, and I was zipping around curves, having a good time. And the sky was crystal blue. And I think it was probably, time we got in the mountains, it was probably still like 89 degrees, 87 degrees, something like that. And all of a sudden, and not because we were going up, I said to Judy, the temperature's dropping. And so sure enough, it just kept going down and down and down. And in a few minutes, in a row, probably 10 miles, 15 miles, it had dropped down to like, 63 degrees 
and the sky's all blue, and we're all just oohing and on. Isn't that nice and wonderful? And then all of a sudden, I mean, just like that, I said, Judy, look up. And the blue sky was gone, was gone. I said, look in the valley. And through the woods, we could see nothing but clouds, nothing but fog, really. But it's a different fog. Don't think fog you can't see driving. It wasn't that way. It was just there. It was just there. And we kept going down and down and down until finally we found ourselves in the valley where our hotel was on the coast. And it was 53 degrees, 53 degrees. And there's this real mist just hanging everywhere. It was just, well, it was just wonderful. It really was just a dramatic change. And it happened when we came off the mountain into the valley. And I bet you can guess what happens. What happens is the air is dry and warm here. And as you enter the coastline, the cooler, damper air is there. And as these two collide, as you come down to the coastline, as they collide, this fog forms. Well, that's kind of what happens in our story tonight. Um, Jesus chooses Peter, James, and John, and they all go up on the mountain called the Mountain of Transfiguration. And they go up there, and they're kind of taking a nap. And they wake up, and there's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And Jesus has been transformed, and, and he's glowing, and all these wonderful things. And, and Peter says, oh, my goodness, this is wonderful, Jesus. Let's make booths. Let's make tents. Let's make dwellings for, for you and Elijah and Moses. And boom, like that, it was over. And they hear you know, God the Father say, this is my beloved son, I'm who, I'm whom I'm pleased. You'll hear him. And, and it was over, just like that. And so they couldn't stay on the mountaintop. And they had to come down. So, so Luke says it was a day later, a long journey, I don't know. But, but they came down into the valley. And when you get into the valley, they find something totally different than the mountaintop experience. And it was, it was a place of confrontation. It was a place of difficulty and all those things. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. We all need the mountaintops, but we always need the valleys too. And the mountaintops, in the times of our quiet time with God... When we grow in our prayer closet and our time in His Word, we need that. But we get that to enter into the valley of human need where we can meet people and tell them about Jesus. Are you following that? And listen, it's not always easy down here, but that's why we have this. If we don't have this, we will fail down here. We must have that mountaintop experience with God on a daily basis. Not a good sermon, um, not a good worship service, not, a, not two ladies singing incredible songs. I'm talking about your time with the Father in prayer. And by the way, Sue, the very last word in our scripture tonight, depending on what translation you have, is the word prayer. And the very last word of your song was prayer. Prayer. That's the secret sauce. That's the secret sauce. So in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, imagine Peter, James, and John, and Jesus now coming off the mountain. Um, just for future reference, you need to know, um, because the crowd's going to come, he's told them, don't tell anybody about this now. Don't tell anybody about this. Whatever you saw up here, you know, that's between you, you and us, okay? And so they're coming down the mountain, in verse, uh, Mark 9, 14, it says this. And when they came to the disciples, the other nine, the other nine, when they came to the nine they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Now, this obviously is such a wonderful opportunity. Jesus knows. The other three guys don't know. But, but as they come down this mountain, here's a crowd of people, and, and there is a, a group of religious leaders, of scribes, and there is the nine disciples. And the Bible says, and they were arguing. They were arguing. This is, listen... 
This is what happens when the church isn't the church. Here's a wonderful opportunity. We don't know how large the crowd was. We don't know how large the crowd was. But instead of the nine taking the opportunity to, to expound on Jesus Christ, they're arguing. And frankly, they're probably arguing about the fact that they tried to cast out a demon and it didn't happen. Okay. In fact, Jesus later says, why were you guys arguing? What were you arguing about? It's so important that the church be the church. It's so important that the world looks at the church that they see something different. You know, in that crowd, in that crowd were people who were not followers of Christ. There may have been some followers of Christ. There were a religious group that was against Christ. And there was a man and his son who were desperately needing something. And what they needed was not argument. They needed the love of Jesus. So we've got to understand the world is watching us. What are we going to do with the opportunities? What are you going to do when you go to McDonald's or you go to Hardee's and you're having your cup of coffee and the topics of the culture come up? Perhaps the co topics of religion come up. Perhaps the topics of Jesus come up. Perhaps the topics of your church come up. What are you going to do with that, that opportunity? Will we debate and argue or will we expound on Christ? I suggest to you tonight that we need to seize every opportunity to expound on Christ. On Christ. So, so they come near and they find this argument going on. Now, look at what happens in verse 15. And immediately, immediately, all the crowd, how many? Oh, yeah, yeah. All the crowd, when they saw him, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Now, a couple of things. This is why I told you I told you. Some, some theologians would, would say, well, perhaps he still had the remnant of the transfiguration, but, but he said, keep it a secret. So that probably was not the reason. They were attracted to the man Jesus. Jesus, by this time, had a reputation for doing incredible things. And they immediately were drawn to him. They were amazed that he, they were amazed that the one they were looking for was there. You know, when you go to a concert and you're there to hear a particular group and they have all the warm-up groups, that's fine. But when the star of the show shows up, it's an amazing thing. It's what you came for. What they had gathered together for was Jesus Christ. Now, watch this. It's amazing to note how quickly the crowd leaves the mayhem to go to the Messiah. All of the crowd was around the argument, all listening, debate, perhaps participating in this argument. But when Jesus Christ shows up, when the real deal shows up, all the allurement of the mess is gone and they flock to the Messiah. I'm telling you this. People won't come to church for church. But I still believe, I still believe, I still believe when Jesus Christ is authentically demonstrated at church in our lives, people will flock to it. Not all people. But people will flock to it. You know, there's a couple of ways Jesus always, you know, or, or people would gather as crowds in these days, you know, a mess or a miracle. And we're going to see a miracle, and people will abandon the mess to see the miracle. And let me tell you something. There are about a hundred, uh, there's probably 75 miracles seen in this room. And we need to be the miracle. We need to be the miracle that Christ made us when he reached down in his grace and saved us and changed us. We've got to let the world see what God has done for us. People flock to authentic Christianity. They won't flock to religion. They, they won't flock to a plastic Christian. They will flock to genuine Jesus. We need to be a genuine Jesus. Amen?
You get, you grasp that? You understand the implication of what I just said? If we want in this culture, if we want people to flock or come to our church, we've got to offer them something besides religion. Imagine this culture. In this culture, the former religion they had were scribes and Pharisees and the, and the people being condemned by those scribes and Pharisees, telling them how they were not and they were. They've had their belly full of that. They flocked to Jesus. They flocked to John the Baptist because it was different. And people flocked to Christ because it's authentic and real. And they really flocked to God's house when we are authentic and real in our faith. And you know what's great about that? That means we don't have to be perfect. That means when we mess up, we can say we messed up. And people go, oh, you're human. Isn't that great? When we base our, our thing on religion and rules... And we mess up, they go, yeah, see there? You, you think you're such a hypocrite. You tell me I ought to keep the rules, and you don't even keep the rules. But when we're authentic and we talk about God's grace and how God saved us and God forgave us, wow. They go, oh, you're human too. You mess up. Yeah, I do. And God forgives me, and that's what I want to tell you about. That's what I want to tell you about. So, so they flocked to Jesus. And so he asked them, and he is so... What were you arguing about with them? And frankly, them could have been the disciples and, and the scribes. It could have been a crowd. We're really not sure what the them is. I think it must have been the scribes and the disciples. That's what I think it was. Well, what? And he's talking to the disciples. What were you arguing about with them? Why were you arguing? And, and frankly, you know what it probably was? You know, the nine disciples, you're going to find out in just a minute, had been asked by a dad to cast out a demon. And it didn't go well. They couldn't do it. And the scribes were saying, see there, you don't, I don't care what Jesus says, you don't have authority to cast out demons. That's probably what they were, they engaged in an argument that never should take place. Don't argue God with lost people, they don't get it. They don't get it. Defend the faith, you know, you know those yes, but don't engage in an argument. And by the way, don't waste a lot of time arguing with your brother and sister about things that don't matter in eternity. Amen. Don't waste that time. So what were you arguing about? <laughs> Someone in the crowd answered him, Teacher, term of respect, I, I brought my son to you. In other words, you were the main attraction. It was you who I was looking for. I, I brought my son to you and implied, by the way, that you weren't there. And that's not a condemnation. It's just a fact. You weren't there. He has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So, again, please understand, this is more than like epilepsy. Make that clear. There's something, because of his testimony, there's something going on spiritual here. Often, you know, often people say, oh, well, they have epilepsy back there. It really wasn't demon possession. No, friend, I, listen, I've seen demon possession. I've seen it in Africa. I'm not so sure I didn't see it here one night during Judgment House. So demon possession is a real deal, and it was certainly a real deal back then. And this father is desperate. He has watched for years as this young son of his, demon-possessed, deaf and mute, and then would roll in the ground, roll in the fire, be thrown into the water. And he's a desperate dad. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you, there's a lot of desperate dads out there. We live in a culture of desperation. Sometimes they recognize it, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they look in desperation to other things because they don't know or don't recognize the need to turn to God. And then here's the key. So I asked your disciples, the nine, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now, 
and, and Mark 6 and, and verse 7 and verse 13, we understand already Jesus has given them the power to do this very thing. They have been given the power to cast out demons. In fact, they come back and give a great report you know, that we were able to do this. So the Father's request was not unreasonable. All things given equal, the disciples should have been able to cast out these demons. But the bottom line is, they could not. And you might say, well, why not? Well, look at verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, again, the commentaries that I read, I, I try to read about three, all right? The commentaries I read all said the same thing, that, that the disciples were mirroring society. When Jesus said, O faithless generation, he was talking to the scribes, he was talking to the crowd, he was talking to those nine disciples, and he was most likely throwing the dad in the pot. And he was, fr he was spiritually frustrated and saying, Where, how long must I deal with this lack of faith? And that really should pierce at least the heart of the nine. Because the reason they couldn't cast out the demon was most likely their unbelief. They came back victorious saying, wow, look. And perhaps, 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 in their unbelief and pride, they thought, are you ready? They could do it. They can't do it. It's Jesus or it's nothing. Have you figured out yet, as this pastor, after 32 years of pastoring, is finally getting a taste of, is the fact that, guess what? We can't do it. We can't change Harrisburg. All we can be is tools in the hands of a Savior who can. And he cries out and says, Oh, faithless generation. Look at them. And probably, let me put it in these words. Hey, nine. Hey, nine. Stop mirroring the society around you in unbelief. We are not to be a people of unbelief. We're to be a people of faith. Of faith. So, they said, he said, bring him to me. So, they brought the boy to him. And when the, I like this. And when the Spirit saw him, Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now, this is incredible. This shows the presence and power of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. There is no power in religion. There's no power in the Southern Baptist Convention. There's no power in the title of being a Baptist or whatever title you may claim tonight. The power and the authority lies in the name of Jesus Christ. In James chapter 2 and verse 19, James said that the devils believe in what? Tremble. Tremble. Listen, Satan will not fear us. But you mark it down, he fears the Son of God. He fears the Son of God. Jesus is the answer, and it's time for the church to be the church, relying on the one who can make a difference. Now, it's interesting because it says, the Bible says that Jesus said, how long has this been going on? It seems like almost like a strange question. You know, here's the boy apparently, you know, rolling on the floor, on the ground, and, and Jesus goes, how long has he been doing this? And I like what one of the commentaries said, is that, that he's making a case. And, you know, because he knew the father was going to say a long time, well, it's from childhood, from time he was very, very young. And that's way of Jesus saying, you need to understand something. This is a big deal. This is a big problem. 
And what I'm fixing to do takes great power. And I'm the Savior of the world with great power. So the Bible says, after crying out, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I messed up here. Let's see. From childhood, verse 22. And, and has often cast him in the fire and to water to what? Destroy him. See, that's how come we know it's not epilepsy. Whatever's going on here, it's more than epilepsy. It's more than a physical ailment. It's a demon possession. You know, Jesus said in John 10, John 10, 10, the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. So he tries to destroy him. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. But if you, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, this is the, this is the great danger of when the church won't be the church. This is the great danger when the church doesn't magnify Jesus Christ. Because when we do church on our terms, when we do ministry on our terms, when we do things on our, in our power and we fail, listen, listen, it reflects negatively on God. Where did the idea come from this man when he said, if you can help? I'll tell you where, the nine. He went, they went to them, he went to them and said, listen, you know, my, my son here has, you know, has a demon possession. Um, would you, could you do something about that? And they tried and failed. Jesus, I don't know if you're like them or not. They couldn't do it, so maybe you can't do it either. It is so important. It is so important that we do nothing negative to defame the name of Christ. You Look at me. You don't know how important this is. That's why you can't go to the coffee shop and talk about somebody else. You can't talk about Jesus in a negative way. You can't talk about the church in a negative way. You can't talk about another church in a negative way. Because when we do that, it reflects negatively on the precious name of Jesus Christ. You defame Jesus when you do that. And that's why the world doesn't buy what we're selling. They've seen this and said, ain't buying it, ain't believing it. Let's be so careful that we lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Because the world is saying, what did I say this morning? Society has weighed God in the balance and found him not worthy. Where did they get that idea from? They go to church on Sunday. And they see the same man that's saying the offertory prayer out with another woman on Friday night. That's where they get the idea. They were at the coffee shop last Tuesday. And by the way, I've been on vacation, so you know it's a made-up story. They were on the coffee shop last Tuesday and heard your foul mouth talking. That's where they got that idea. That's why they said, if God is so real, then why is it not impacting their lives? And it's not impacting their lives. Why should I believe it's going to impact my life? Does this make sense? It should really burden our hearts in a way, God, help me not to defame your name. Uh, if you can, if you can, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus' response is expected. Jesus said to him, if you can, if it helps you to understand it, if, if, I mean, if I can, if you can, 
All things are possible for one who believes. He's saying, he's saying, listen, listen, I can. In fact, I can do all things. If you believe, if you have faith in me, I can do all things. I love this. So immediately, without hesitation, immediately, and this is so authentic, this is so real. Immediately, the, the father of the child cried out and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What a powerful prayer. What a powerful prayer. He says, I have faith, but let me be honest. I have faith, but let me be honest. You need to help my unbelief. Oh, listen, folks. When we get authentic with God in our prayer life, and we're going to say, God, I trust, I believe, and, and whatever else we need to say, but you need to know something, God. I love the song you chose this morning, Invitation. I need you. Oh, I need you. Oh, every hour I need you. Oh, when we got authentic before God, we said, God, I need you. God, I need you. It's then, it's then that God can work in our lives. Total dependence on God. Not something we throw on on Sunday. Not some name we throw around casually. It's so ingrained in us that when we get on our face before God and we cry out, God, I believe, but, but God, I need to be honest. I know I'm weak. Would you help my unbelief? In this culture, in this society, in these days, if you underline anything in your Bible, you need to underline that, line that and remember it for your prayer time tomorrow morning. I believe, but help my unbelief. I love this. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together. So apparently what's happened is Jesus has walked away with the Father and is having a conversation. So how long has this been happening? And, and you know, all while the, the boy is having, having this attack. And so, he, so he, when he saw a crowd gathering, he rebukes the Spirit. Question, ever thought why, Tyler? Ever thought Why? All his life, this young boy's life, he'd been made a spectacle. Mommy, mommy, Johnny's doing it again. He's doing it again, Johnny. Jesus cared enough and said, this time he won't be a spectacle. He'll be a miracle. I love that. Oh, children, notice the compassion of Jesus. Notice the compassion of Jesus. And let us have that compassion. When he sees the crowd gathering, he rebukes the spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and what? Never enter him again. Don't you like the permanence of the gospel? I'm glad it's not take two ibuprofen and the headache's back in two hours. I'm glad he's better than ibuprofen. I'm glad when God says something, he does it well. I'm glad when he did the gospel, he did the gospel well. And when he did salvation, he did salvation well. And when he works our life, he does it well. He does it well. You're not going to come back. It's over. It's done. Tell me there's not power in Christ. Tell me there's not power in Christ. And after crying out, verse 26, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. And again, some, some of the commentators actually said he probably died. He probably died. Because the Bible simply says, and Jesus took him by the hand. It doesn't indicate anywhere else that he was just unconscious. It may have killed him, and yet, and he's like Jairus' daughter, and Jesus brings him back to life. The miracle's no last either way. 
Because God was glor- Jesus was glorified. God was glorified because he even appeared dead, and, and, the, and the demon was gone. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Fast forward just a little bit. Verse 28, the next verse. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Isn't that an authentic question? Don't you think it's kind of time that we ask that question? I mean, come on. On our watch, on our watch, America has morally imploded. On our watch. Shouldn't we kind of ask the same question to God? God, why, why couldn't, in your name and in your power, but why didn't we have a greater impact in this culture? I think we should. I think we should. Individually and corporately, every church should ask this question. Why couldn't we? Why haven't we? I love this. And he says in verse 29, this is that secret sauce, so this is your word. And he said to them, now I, I'll go ahead and tell you, some translations have the P word and fasting. Some just has prayer. Uh, fasting was not in the earlier manuscripts. It's okay if it's in your translation, it's fine. But, but in, my, in this Holman Christian standard, they've chosen to put it in brackets and say this was probably a, a little bit later edition. And he said to them, this kind, this work, this work, this work, this work, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This, the demon deal, can I just say spiritual work? I don't think, I, I don't think I'm stretching the word at all. This, this spiritual work cannot be done by anything but prayer. Prayer. Now here's where it's cool. Here's what's cool. You know, one of the commentaries, again, spoke up. And I don't even mention commentaries so much. But one of the commentaries spoke up and said, Now, he's not saying that, that if, if you don't get an answer to prayer, that's because you didn't pray enough or didn't the right deal. Well, we understand that prayer is different than anyway. We understand that prayer is not getting my will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. I mean, I fully understand that when he says that this kind of thing can't be done except by prayer, he's talking about me getting in my prayer closet on my face before God and saying, hey, God, I'm here. I love you. What would you like me to do today? That's the kind of prayer he's talking about. He's not, he's not talking about the wantless prayer. And there's nothing wrong with saying, God, we need, and we want God, we need one. He's talking about that intimacy with God. The, the power of God comes through intimacy with God. what it is and jesus said you can't do the the great works of the kingdom unless you do the great work in the prayer closet how many y'all saw war room hello that's exactly what i'm talking about the great work will be done and that's why you're going to shoot me but we need to carve out uh, some time to return to a specific prayer time in our prayer worship center if I need to preach shorter, I need to preach work. Because I was thinking, see, once again, I started thinking again. I said, you know, it does say that Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Not preaching even, but prayer. So somehow, it, through this journey to this, that sermon this morning, and this sermon, particularly that sermon this morning, I realized, God, we've got to be more of a people of prayer. 
And I'm going to be honest with you. I mean kingdom prayer. I, we'll pray for, for something else, but we really need to be a people of kingdom prayer. Because that's how we get the power to change culture. That's how we get, and we don't change culture. You know what I'm trying to say? That's how the gospel changes culture with us being the tools is when we spend time in prayer. So how important is prayer? It's the secret sauce. It's huge. As a corporate church, it's huge. You know, one thing I, I appreciate, um, what kind of church does Sarah go to? It's, it's, it's a community church down in Savannah, and they're just doing this huge work. And you know what they do? I was there, and they carve out time every, every service for some kind of, I mean, kingdom prayer time. Kingdom prayer time. And wow, it really speaks to my heart. So I don't know how we're going to do it. He's going, preacher, when you start preaching 45 minutes, we might be able to pull this off. I don't know. But I just know we need to make it a bigger priority. Don't be surprised some Wednesday night when you show up and I say, we're not going to teach tonight. We're going to call it prayer meeting. Remember that? You know, I remember prayer meeting. We just might pray. <laughs> just might pray. So it's time for the church to be the church. And it's devastating when we're not. And the secret sauce for the church to be the church and the believer to be the believer is... This thing cannot be driven out by anything but, but prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. It's been a good day. I've enjoyed being with the church family. I want you to know that. It's good to be home. It's good to be home. This is our decision time, and you may have taken care of all your business this morning with God but we have one at the end of our service and the altar is open again tonight. If there's something you'd like me to pray with you about, I'd be glad to do that. If you want to come and pray, that's, that's, you know, that's fine. But I think I want to do what we did. David, can we do that thing again? Can we just let you guys play and we'll stay seated for a few minutes and then we'll sing. Can we do that again? So just bow your heads right where you are. They're going to play for us. And then in a few moments I'll just stand. But is there any unfinished business between you and God that needs to happen today.